Thank you, David. Great to be with you. And look, I've got a glass of water straight away. Wow, thanks. Really good to be with you. Do you know what? This is the first time I've been to this church. I've been a healing minister for how many years? 44 years. First time in here with you. And so uh, it's not because of my choice. This is the first pastor to invite me. So uh, I would have come earlier. But great. Are you well this morning? That's fantastic. It's really, really good. Yeah, um, I don't normally take books around me, but this is just hot off the press. Good to see that video on Hope. And this is called The Best is Yet to Come. Anybody here believe that in your spiritual life, your best is yet to come? Amen. Well, really, I've written about four or five, six books. I don't know my time. This is the story from, as I've retired from my role, not from ministry, but from my role. This is a story of when I was called to be a pastor when I was just a child. I was six years of age. I had a vision of Jesus in my room. And um, the story's in there. And from, so the story's from that moment, being called through a vision to ministry when I was a little kid, right through to, well, now really. And uh, so if anybody wants them, they are hot off the press. They're only about out for about four weeks. And um, someone's going to look after them, as you've heard later on. Uh, I think about £7 or something like that. So good to be with you. If you've got your Bible with you, look. hope you've got your Bible with you, or an iPhone, or something, whatever you read your Bible on. But even if you haven't, don't worry, I'm going to read just a part of a psalm. And uh, I'm not speaking on the best is yet to come, but I tell you what, that is true for every single one of us here. And it's true for your church, true for your life. Now, uh, when I go around, I often, while you're just, just getting ready to receive the word this morning, we're all ready to receive the word of God, aren't we? Yeah, so I tell folk that, uh, although I have done, as your pastor said, uh, led Elam for the last 16 years until recently, um, every pastor and every preacher is basically a postman. That's really what we are. Now, your postman has delivered every single letter that you ever get, and he's never written one to you himself. Because his value is not in writing letters, his value is delivering the letters from somebody else. So, um, I don't, if I went round uh, and come and listen to John Glass, it's going to be no great benefit to anybody. The only benefit is to you this morning. And I said to Pastor, I just don't want to come and travel around. I'm booked out every week until November next year, apart from my summer holidays. And I just don't want to travel around the country bringing sermons uh, and messages because it's uh, a lot of energy and work to do that. Why would I do that? But if I've got a word for the Lord for you, for your family and for your church, hey? and I come not with my message but a word from the Lord as a postman, then there's some value in this. And so let's believe this morning God's got a word for our lives and for your fellowship. But I want to begin with a, actually not actually a passage from what I really want to share on. Um, it's something that's been in my spirit. I just want to read you this because it's key to everything we receive from God. You see, to get anything from your postman, you need something very important in your house. You know what it is? It's a letterbox. If there's nowhere to place it, then there's no way to receive it. And there are many Christians who, you know, they have their religious life, their spiritual life, uh, but they feel quite contained, quite comfortable. I'm happy just being like a, uh, a, uh, a spectator in all that's going on in church. I come to church and I'm faithful. But, you know, God needs an open space in which to put new revelation into our life. New dreams, new hope, new expectancy. And so it's not just enough 
that someone has a word for your life. It's not just a, enough they're willing to deliver it. We have to create a space. Yeah, talking about books years ago, I wrote a book called, um, um, I don't know which one it was now, Building Bigger People. And I tell in that story the importance of um, the A380 Airbus. The A380 Airbus was the biggest passenger plane in the world and uh, it cost millions and millions of dollars uh, I think it was Singapore Airlines that commissioned it to build it. And so it's vital that this plane landed in as many places as possible to get the money back, if you understand what I mean. So there was something wanted to land because every time it landed, the airline company got uh, revenue. It was important for the city to get the, the plane because it brought uh, hundreds and hundreds, about 500 new customers in every time. But the thing about that plane, it's this. It is not enough for something in heaven to land or something on earth to want something in heaven to land. You have to have a runway big enough to receive what's coming. So if you've got a local airport here, you can pray and fast until and, and say, Oh God, we want you to do great things in our church, in our lives, in our families. We want great things, Lord. Please do great things. You know, you may want it on earth and God may be willing to do it in heaven. But if there's no runway to receive it, you're not going to get the best blessings from God. So there's a little airport near where I live in Cheltenham. Uh, it's Staverton Airport, and the only planes that ever land there are tiny little things with 20 people. Uh, they would get, it'd be great if they had a big plane, but they, they can't get a big plane. Not because they don't want one, not because one doesn't want to land, it's because the rim rise is not big enough. And one of the things that happens in the beginning of a new year is when God enlarges the runway in our spirit, to believe that good things can happen for our life. Because so often, you know, we believe that good things in church or in families are going to happen to other people who are more spiritual than we are, who are more godly than we are, who are more knowledgeable about the Bible than we are. But, and so what happens is we just keep a little runway in our spirit. And when you get a little runway, you get little planes. But if you enlarge faith... If you enlarge your faith, it's like Pastor said earlier this morning in the prayer, he said God's grace is for everyone, but if we don't have faith to receive it, we're not going to get it. And faith is your runway. And so I want us to believe this morning that God is going to enlarge our runway even this morning, amen? And we'll get more from God in our personal life. And that's not greedy. People say, oh, I shouldn't want more from God, I should be more humble. Listen, the more you get from God, the more you can give out to others. The more you are blessed, the more you can be a blessing, whether it's financially, whether it's spiritually, whether it's an encouragement. The more God inputs you, the more that you can receive from others. So this is what it says in the Psalms. I want to read this out. Uh, it says this. Uh, in Psalm 24, you've got a picture of a city that is surrounded by walls with a population. And in that, in that city, there's great need. But there's a problem in that on the... Even though the, the man who operates the, the opening and closing of gates is not the most important person in the city, that might be the king, <coughs> however much the need is in the city, and however powerful the king is in the city, uh, are in the city, then it's no good unless the person who holds the gates is willing to open and let the king in. Isn't that right? Or let, the, uh, let uh, God in. And so this is what the psalmist says, Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even be lifted up your old doors, ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And so the gatekeeper, instead of opening the gate and giving access, he just says, well, who is the king of glory? He begins to argue. And he says, 
Who is the King of glory? And the answer comes, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Come on, open the door, lift up your heads, O your gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And again, the argument, well, who is the King of glory? You see, openness and access is vital to receiving from God. Whether it's a letter through our door, whether it's a, uh, whether it's a plane on a runway, openness. In a couple of weeks' time, I'm going to be going for a checkup to the dentist. And the first words that this person, this lady, will say to me is this, open up. Isn't that right? Open up. Because and for my dentist, is, she's, a, uh, she's a Malaysian, she's uh, much shorter than I am, petite, I think we call it with a lady. And uh, she brings a drill over my mouth. And I'm thinking, why am I going, why am I allowing this woman, I could overpower her, look at the size of me. I could overpower her. Why am I allowing her to put a drill in my mouth and give me pain? Do you know why I do that? Because I've got a short-term problem that if I don't deal with it now will become a long-term problem. And I would rather have short-term pain to get over my long-term problem. Are you following me? In order, so I allow myself to open up. I allow myself to open up. The city has to open up. The door has to open up. Um, do you know, I used to live in Scotland and uh, travel big miles there and all kinds of weathers and it's really... I've got two glasses of water now. <laughs> you know, you're expecting a long sermon. The man says, listen, that one glass is not going to keep him long enough. He needs another glass. <laughs> do I read on Facebook the other day, there's a very short line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. <laughs> I hope you're not going to be in a hostage situation this morning. But I do hope we're going to open up. You see, if we don't open up, talk about the dentist, I could overpower it. But of course I wouldn't. Because I want access, even if it's painful. Are you following me? I need to give that lady access to my mouth to solve a problem. Short-term pain to get over a long-term problem. But going back to Scotland... I used to travel all over, the, and, and uh, in awful weather, terrible snow and all. And sometimes my car would break down. And uh, you would phone up the AA, or whoever it is, RAC or Green Flag. And the first thing is, oh, you're feeling bad because your car's broken down. Then you connect with the AA, shall we say, and you're feeling good because answer could be on the way. And then you see the car coming out, the, the um, repair van coming over the, the hill, and you're thinking, really good, great, I'm going to be on the road. And he gets to the car, and your bonnet's down, and he says, oh, thank you, sir, nice to see you. He said, uh, would you open up? So you lift up the bonnet. Now, you felt happy to begin. We felt sad you broke down, happy that he's there. Then you open up, and this is what he does. He puts his head under the bonnet, plays around the engine, and he goes... I'm going to tell you something. I've worked out something. Every is 50 pounds. If, if he does three or four of those, I know I'm in real trouble. But do you know, I've never known anybody leave their car in a lay-by and walk away from it because they weren't willing to pay the price to move on. But listen, I've met Christians who when the Holy Spirit says open up, you've you, you know, you're no, you're no further on than you were this time last year in your spiritual life. That's called breaking down. Hello? When your car's not moving on, you've broken down. It's all, I, I'm not backslidden. I'm not backslidden, Lord. You know, in the story of the talents, where they gave somebody one, you know, and five and ten and so forth, the person who was the man in trouble was the one who buried his talent in the ground 
And when the man returned, the king returned, he said, what have you done? He said, the, the one talent that you gave me, here you are, have it back. In other words, I haven't lost it. I've not backslidden. We see, God doesn't say you're successful when you give him back what he gave you. He says you're successful when you have invested what you are and what he's given you to increase it more. Are you following me? So if you say, well, I don't backslide, I'm spiritual. No, God, that's why we call, Christians were called people of the way before they were called Christians. People who were moving on. We talk about the walk of faith. We talk about running with patience because it's to do with moving on in God. And as we move on in God and we become open to all that God wants us and we realize, and this is the point I'm coming to today, is that God has positioned us to receive from him. He's talking about Elam Conference. A couple of years ago at Elam Conference, uh, I was preaching and I was telling the story of uh, coming to preach somewhere. It was a Saturday and, and my car was in a right... Uh, in fact, don't go and have a look now. It might be still dirty now. I don't know. But at this age, I thought, I can't turn up at a church in a car like this. I'd gone through a lot of mud and uh, I just got the car wash. I pull into the car wash and uh, there's only one man in front of me. So I'm thinking, well, that's okay. It won't be long now because I haven't got a lot of time in front of me. Pull up behind him, but he was taking ever. I thought, I'm going to be late. What it was, you know, there's some car washers, the one I usually go to, you put a token in, and then you just drive forward, and the thing starts. Well, this, you know, and this was one of those. But this man had been in one of those where you drive forward, and your front wheels touch a bar, and the bar sets everything in motion. Are you following me? And this wasn't one of those. So he was going forward and back and forward and back and forward and back, and of course nothing was happening. And I thought, if I get out now and help him, it'll suddenly work and I'm going to get drenched in a car wash. Eventually, the man gets out and he comes to me and says, can you help me? I said, sure, this is you. I think I'm, you've got this wrong a little bit. He said, I'm sorry, sir, to keep you waiting. Listen, I'm only trying to get in the right place. And I thought, well, whatever I'm preaching on that day will not be as important as that message I've just received. Because being positioned and open and ready to receive is the key to being successful. I've got to be open to receive. Well, I've got to need an open. We're going to talk about somebody in a minute, a woman in a moment. So many preachers talk about men of faith. I want to talk some today about some women of faith. Is that okay, ladies? I want to talk about people who were open despite the pressures against them to close up. Because there are pressures upon all of us as Christians to close up. We don't speak. Why don't people stand up and pray in a meeting? Is because they're not frightened of the devil. They're frightened of what other people might think of them if their prayer is not as good as other people's. If they don't, you know, some people use a lot of religious language when they pray. I don't tend to do that, but some people do. If somebody praying for the first time, we worry you. And so the fear of man, the Bible says, sets a snare. It stops us in that progression that God wants us to take. It closes us down when we want to be open. Because if we can't be open, what happens is, it's like me sowing good seed on a car park. It might be brilliant seed, but there's nowhere for the ground to take the seed that it might germinate. Openness is absolutely essential for God to do something. And positioning in ourselves to be ready. One day, the, the, the prophet says uh, there was a spiritual need in the earth and, uh, and uh, the Old Testament prophet says, Habakkuk says, Lord, we, what we, need, we want you to open up the heavens and rain your blessing upon us. 
And God says, I'm not going to do it. I am going to do it. Why wouldn't God want to bless a nation that needs blessing? Why wouldn't God bless a family that needs blessing? Why wouldn't God bless an individual that needs blessing? Why wouldn't God do that if our heart is for it? He said, I'm not going to do it. He said, Lord, we want you to pour out your blessing upon us. You've prayed it in your church. You've prayed it in our lives. Lord, I need more of you, more of you, more, Lord. He said, I'm not going to do it. Well, don't you want to? Yes, I do. Why don't you do it? He said, well, because the ground's too hard. The ground's not open. He said, I want you to break up your unplowed ground. That's what the Bible... You know that verse, don't you? Break up your unplowed ground. Someone say unplowed ground. Unplowed ground. And then he says, I will pour something out from heaven over you. Because at the moment, if I shower rain down upon the earth, what will, and blessing, what will happen is, it will just evaporate. Because there's nowhere, it's not, the ground's not open. The plow is a cutting instrument. And some of the bad stuff, Pastor didn't know what I was going to speak on this morning, but he talked earlier about, you know, we don't have to run after trouble, trouble finds us. But you know, trouble sometimes, let me ask you a question. I'm looking to, I think I've got some honest people in the room, is that right? You honest? How many people, come on, be, are you with me this morning? I know you are, I can see your face. Listen, how many people here pray more when you're in trouble? Come on, we're full of honest people here. We're full of honest people, we've got a few dishonest ones as well. We pray more when we're in trouble. Oh God, if you get me through this situation, I'll do anything for you. Oh God, help me. Please help me. Now, that's why it says, in, in, that's why the scripture says, the Lord makes my heart soft. Job 23, the Lord makes my heart soft for the Almighty troubles me. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, says, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts to us in our pain. For pain is God's, not just physical pain, but emotional pain, domestic pain, financial pain. God shouts to us in our pleasure. God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts in to us in our pain. For pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. It's terrible that the only way God can get us to get to our knees is to bring us to our knees. And the plough's a cutting instrument. But what it does is it cuts through the ground. It opens up the furrow. Are you with me? Then when it's open, someone say open. When it's open, then the rain comes down and it goes deeper. There is, I, I preached some two years ago in Arizona, you know, full of desert there. Um, and uh, I was preaching in this conference. And in the night, it was pouring down with rain like I've never seen rain before. I said, how can this place remain a desert in this area in Arizona? It's a desert. Because so much rain. And the person says, the problem is gully washers. I said, what's a gully washer? He said, we see these gullies. The hard sand and the rain comes down and the river runs along it. And people think, wow, look at that mighty river. But it's hard-baked sand. And then when the rain stops and the river runs away, the sun comes out, it evaporates any sense that there was ever rain at all. And it's a desert again. I've been to meetings like that, Pentecostal meetings where there's a big river going on, there's excitement in the meeting, the band's good, everybody's worshipping, everything's going great. But somehow, come on, honest people again, you've been there in those meetings, and by the time you're in your car park, it was as if you were never in church. Where did all that blessing go? 
It went because it never got deep enough in my spirit. It never soaked into my heart. You know, we're all challenged that when we bring God prayers, we bring him a prayer list, we bring him a shopping list, we never stay long enough. And I've done that myself, we've all done it. We never stay long enough to soak in the presence of God, to allow God to speak into our life. Openness is vital. Opening up your mouth to the dentist is one thing. Opening up to yourself to, to the car. Positioning yourself. It's, it's important to be open to God. Openness to all that he wants to do in our life. But with that, so what happens is when the plough comes, it then opens up a furrow in the ground. See, when we raise our hands in worship like we do in Pentecostal charismatic churches, that is not some kind of Pentecostal choreography or Pentecostals raise their hand. This is the difference. Look, this is me before God. Or this is me before God. Body posture says something about your heart. Hello. It says, God, I'm a furrow in the ground and you can pour anything you want into me. And Lord, I want to be open and vulnerable. You know, at one point the psalmist tried to run away from God. He says, I tried to flee from your presence, but when I went into the east, you were there. When I went into the west, you were there. So he said, wherever I went, you were there. So I'm not going to run. I'm just going to stand here and say this, Lord, I'm opening up. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I just want to open up. Why do we ever close up then? We close up because we get hurt in life. We close up to God. We close up to people. We protect ourselves by closing up. And the lady come, I'm just, I'm just feeling prophecy rising in my spirit rather than my, my scripture notes. Is that all right, Pastor? So I'm just going to prophesy. I'm just going to talk out what God said. I'm reminded now, when I was a pastor years ago, <clears throat> a lady telling me she's going to leave my church. I said, oh, I'm sorry. Very rarely did anybody. I think probably, I'd, well, I'd, a very small number of people would have left church as I was a pastor of unless they were moving away on business. So I was surprised to know. I said, why are you leaving? People are not friendly. I said, I want to tell you, well, I didn't argue with her because if a lady feels something or a man feels something, they're feeling it. Arguing doesn't help. Are you with me? So, so I, I said, what do you mean they're not friendly? Well, I, I'm, they're not friendly. Now, this lady used to come in 10 minutes after the meeting started and left 10 minutes before it closes. How many people know that's hard to make friends? <laughs> Hello? Hello? I had some workmen building, working on the building while I was talking to this lady in the church. And I said, if one of those workmen out there came in here and met you, the Holy Spirit told me to say this to her, if they came and met you, would they like you immediately, dislike you immediately, or not make any decision until they knew you? She said, they would dislike me immediately. So I realized there's a problem, because the right answer is not make any judgment, isn't it? And then she told me the truth. She opened up to me. She says, Pastor, I've got to tell you, I haven't been coming to your church long. But years ago, I had a friend, and she said, look, you you can confide in me anything you want. Just confide in me. You know, I'm here for you. And I confided some real pain in my life, and she gossiped it all over the place. And I said, I will never open up to anybody again, because the pain of being lonely is not the as bad as the, as the pain of being betrayed. So I will not allow anybody to get close. She said, 
Do you know why I'm thinking of leaving your church, Pastor? I've got to tell you the truth. It is not because people aren't friendly. It is because they're so friendly they're getting by my defences and I'm running somewhere else where I can close up again. See, we lose so much, not just in our relationship with God, with others, when because bad things have happened to us, we close up the ground, but the place for refreshing in church life, the place for, because you can't get anything to grow in the field. It's not just about blessing from heaven. Oh God, I, I'd like to feel goosebumps going down my spine. I'd like to fall on the floor when people pray for me. That is just the rain falling. The rain doesn't fall for the sake of rain falling. The rain falls on the field so that when it softens the ground, something can be planted that would bring forth a harvest. So experiencing God is, is not the end of the journey. It's only a process. We think, oh, I had a great meeting in church this morning. Do you know, I was shaking all over, or I started to cry, or I fell on the ground. Listen, that's not the destination of a good meeting. That is, that is not the destination. I don't think I'll ever get to the Word, because I'm just prophesying what God's given me. See, there's a big disadvantage in being a visiting preacher. The disadvantage is you don't know me, and I don't know you. You see me on the God Channel, you see me in Direction Magazine in years gone by conferences. You don't really know me. So halfway through my message, we're about there now, you think, you know, he's okay, he's not so bad, it's okay. Right? He's a bit older than he looks in his pictures in the magazine, but he's okay. So it's, it takes some time, you know, to connect. I didn't have too much trouble with you this morning, I've noticed, because you, you're really open people, I feel, at least, at least to the preachers, to preacher. But there's, I've got one advantage as a visiting speaker, even over the local pastor. And it's the same advantage as the disadvantage. My disadvantage is we don't know one another. But the great advantage is, listen, we don't know one another. So if I'm saying something and putting something through your letterbox that you're saying, well, that's true, how did he know? I've had no conversations with this man. I've just turned up in my car. I don't know anything about your life. So it must be God speaking. Hello? It could be God on our case. See, what happens is then we, 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 we close up and we, and we withdraw when what God really wants to do is to sow something. See, my wife could have said to me this morning, John, where are you going today? Right? Because she travels with me sometimes, not every week. She has, a, we, she has a local church to be, although I should be with me all the time. She would have no friends in the world, apart from me. So she, she'll be in Cheltenham Elim this morning. But she'll say, where are you off to today again? And I'll say, I'm going to the M4, Marilyn. That'd be absolutely true. I've been there. The problem is it wasn't my destination. It was a place I got on the way to get to my destination. Having experiences in church is not our destination. Our destination is encountering God and God growing something in my life. Being in the rain, if you're a field, and the Bible says in Corinthians, we are God's field. Being in the rain, it's, oh, I love the rain. I love the presence of God. Isn't it wonderful? This is a great church. Friends, that's your M4. The question is not, did you feel the rain, but did you open up to receive something? Did God put a seed there, and did the harvest come? Oh, I read the Bible. Someone says, I read nine chapters every day. That's fantastic. Well done. That's very good. The question, that's your M4. The question is not, did you read nine chapters every day, but what did God say to you today that's going to change your life? So if I went to France, and I'm in Paris for, say, uh, just a, a short time, and there's the Louvre there, that, you know, great, 
gallery. Uh, and, um, and, and, and I said, well, I've got only half an hour, so if I sprint up, if I only could sprint, believe me, if I sprint up all the floors and run round at breakneck speed, I will pass every single painting in this place and I can say I've been to this great gallery. And I could do that probably if I was younger. The problem is I've been there, but I haven't been there. Well, I read nine chapters. Listen, better to read one verse and allow open the Holy Spirit, allow to open that verse up to us and spend time with Jesus. Are you following me? Intimacy, in other words. Intimacy. 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 And so the next problem, the first problem to really receive from God is I don't open up. Number two, the next difficulty, when I open up, I don't stay open long enough for God to get something deep in me. And then this final thing that we're talking about, positioning. We get this idea that in order to really receive from God, then I need to be a really important person in the life of the church or I need to have you know, so many years' experience and all this kind of thing. You see, some of you may have only been Christians a few weeks. Let me tell you, the issue is not how long you've been a Christian. How, or you may have been a Christian like me for many, many years. The point is not length, it's depth. Hello? It's not how long have I been around, but how deep am I in God? How big is my furrow? How open am I? Unto, am I positioned, ready to catch it? And so the guys who are into rugby, you know, it is not enough to have a desire to score a try. You have not just to be willing to be able to be open to catch the ball and run with it. You need to be positioned so that when the ball comes, you're in the right place to get it. So I want to mention three women now, much more briefly than I was going to before because of time going by. But I want to people, you've never, we don't know their name. And some of them, we know their name, but they mean nothing to us. So if I mention the name today, how many people here, honest people again in this church, how many people, if I ask you to come and tell me, tell us all what you know about Jochebed in the Bible, how many people would know that name? Right, just a couple. Happily, the pastor's raised his hand. <laughs> Which is a great relief to us all. Um, but you know, as a time as a pastor, I'd have to think twice. She was the mother of Moses. If we hadn't had her and Amram, her husband, we wouldn't have had Moses. If we didn't have Moses, we wouldn't have had two million people come out of slavery. Hello. And she's in a bad place. You see, when bad stuff happens, it is a testing time. And she, mums, there's lots of mothers here. The prime minister says there's too many immigrants in the country. So all the male children, babies born, must be killed. You can't imagine that happening, even in the most right-wing government. That's what happened in Egypt. There's too many of these Israelites here. And they're multiplying and multiplying. And so what we need to do is to call them back. And Pharaoh says every male child has to... He told the midwives... You, get a baby. Her job is to give life and bring life into the world. You can bring the women in, baby, women, females in, but males, you have to die. I mean, it's unbelievable. That's what happened. And so Amram and Jochebed have had a baby. We call it, he didn't have a name at the time, Moses. And of course he's male. And the secret police are going to be coming around and they're going to be taking the baby out. They're going to be, they're going to be dealing 
with the midwife, whoever brought it into life, but they're then going to move on to, if it escapes, you're in trouble. And so what does she do? And she's in a mess. Parents, think about this. She says, if it stays in my house, people know a baby's crying. You know, we live in a village. Everybody knows I've been pregnant for nine months. They're going to ask, is it a boy or a girl? I'm in trouble. Not everybody loves me in the village. They're going to tell on me. And so she made a wicker basket. And she covered it with tar to make it waterproof. And she went down to the river. Mums, here, mothers. Have we any mothers in the house today? Mothers. She puts her baby son, her only boy, in a basket by the side of the river and just pushes it out into the unknown, releases her grip and says, God, I've just got to hand this over to you. Mothers. Because if it, it, you're going to, it's either this or dying, I've got to trust God. There may be mothers here and fathers here and you've been praying for your children. And the more you pray, they seem to be further away from God, even however much more you pray. Hear God, what you're doing, there's a place where you've just got to come to a place of rest and say, I've done all I can do. Lord, I just push that little situation. Yeah, I love the boy, I love the girl, but I've just got to release them onto you. And when she's holding the little basket, she's got control. But when she pushes it away, it goes and the tide takes it. And it's up to you and round the corner. This is how God works. It's awesome. The daughter of the man who'd made the, de- the racist decree to kill the babies is having a bath. She's the princess. You know the story in the Bible. And she says to one of her maids, what's this little thing floating, that little box thing floating? She says, wait out and bring it in. And they wait out and they bring it in. And she says, there's a baby in it. Does anybody here, including the pastor, know the name of the princess? No, because it's not mentioned in the Bible. She could have been in really a sub, real serious trouble if she is, she's positioned to make a whole difference in the world. She doesn't know this child will grow up to be a deliverer of two million. It's a helpless baby. Do I obey my father and report it and get it killed? Or do I just say, I'm going to look after it? Positioned. You see, friends, I want to tell you, history moves on small hinges. One assassination meant that millions died in the First World War. A decision of politicians meant that millions of people, 50 million people died in the Second World War. History, an act of obedience that you and I will do for God, saying yes to Him in a small thing, could open up a whole world of opportunity for you. An act of disobedience can close the door. Someone say, close the door. See the door, your doors are not too big here, but I go in some churches and the doors are massive. And you go in these, there's no way that I could carry one of those doors anywhere. I mean, I just couldn't lift it. And the strongest and fittest guy that's in the place today, you couldn't do it. But that moves on a hinge, weighing less than an ounce. Small hinges open and close big doors. It opens. The word this morning is open. The word this morning is positioned. It opens up and it closes stuff. And she was a tiny hinge. She didn't even know she was a hinge. Pharaoh's daughter, okay, she didn't know she was a hinge. 
she said, I'm not going to have this baby reported. And so she says to one of my mates, find some woman who will bring it up as a wet nurse. This is how God works. She goes and she finds Jochebed, the boy's mother, who only minutes before said, God, I've got to hand this over to you. Go and bring this baby up. A small hinge that opened the door of deliverance many years later, 80 years later. Say, God doesn't seem to be working in my life. Friends, stuff that you will do today, your commitment to this house right now, your commitment to God's purpose right now, could open up stuff this morning, this afternoon, in 50 years' time. A conversation that you will have with somebody. I mean, it's, you, it's a case of pressing on. Before I ever came to see you this morning, I live in a little, Marilyn and I live in a little tiny hamlet, a village in the Cotswolds. I would have prayed for 12 of my neighbours by name. I do it every single day. Sometimes I said, Lord, these people, I've been praying for ages. Why are they not getting saved yet? Hey? But I'm not going to give up. Because something might happen and I might be just the hinge that's going to be used. I can't save them. The hinge that's used to do something. And so here was a woman who was unknown, who made a courageous decision because she didn't even know God had positioned her, but she had. Moving on. Are you with me this morning? Are we together this morning? Now, I want us to go to, oh, this one again. I've not even opened it. I want to take you to a Jewish village. Mom and dad are outside again. Children again playing in the streets. And some terrorists come down on horseback. Palestinian terrorists. And they drive through. They're killing people. And they see this lovely young teenage girl. I don't know if there's anybody here from Nigeria, but Boko Haram, if I say those words. Northern Nigeria taking 200 innocent little girls away from their families. The pain on the mothers and fathers. What's happening to them? Where have they gone? Well, that's exactly the same situation all these years before. 2,700 years ago, this story could have been in the paper today. Palestinian terrorists, they see this teenage girl with a parent. They snatch her, put her on a horse and drive off. Boko Haram story all over again. Same people. Mother's screaming, dad's raging, can't do a thing. Fortunately, she is taken as a slave. But fortunately, she is not mistreated. She ends up in the home as the maid to the wife of the main terrorist. His name's Naaman. Are you with me? One day, so you're talking about someone with no name who is going to be pivotal again because she's open. Are you following me? We're talking about women being used by God's sister. It's about women. One day she's there doing her duties around the house, big house, and she overhears something in the bedroom. And it's the captain of Syria, Syria, for goodness sake, or Assyria, wherever which one he was, Aram. He says, I've got to tell you something, love. I've had a shower, as we would say today. And whereas we would say, I found a lump where it shouldn't be, which is the killer today, she says, he says, I found a blemish on my skin. 
which is a killer. It's called leprosy, and I've had everybody in to help me. Every consultant, I've got the money, I've got the influence. They can't do anything for me. All I can do is cover myself up so nobody sees it for as long as possible. But it's, I've got a death sentence on me. She's crying, the wife. Now, come on. Again, I'm in a house with honest people. You were the girl, the teenage girl, who's been taken from your family by terrorists. You are in the house of the man who is mainly responsible for that action. You hear he's got an incurable disease. Are you thinking, thank you, God, he deserves it? <laughs> I hope it spreads. I hope he dies in pain. When I think of what's... Come on, let's be honest. Come on. I'll never see my mother and father again. They're grieving for me now. They don't know whether I'm dead, alive, raped. They don't know what's wrong with me. Now, judgment has come. But she was a hinge. She was a woman of God. She was the most powerless woman in the nation. And in that culture, you were powerless if you were a woman. You were, ca- you were powerless if you were an unmarried woman. You were even more powerless if you were a slave. And you were even more powerless if you were a foreign slave. But you see, one with God is a majority. And she made a courageous decision. She's completely opposite to the princess with all her power and a palace. But she's a hinge. She's a woman and she says... Do you know what? I'm not going to gloat. God could have put me even in this mess for a purpose. I'm not going to be a means of vengeance and spite, retribution. I'm going to be a means of blessing. I think this woman, I mean, General Superintendent for all these years and all this, this girl is more spiritual than I'll ever be, I think. And so she goes in to see her mistress. She says, listen, I could be in awful trouble here. I overheard something. You can sack me, you can kill me. But you know, I've heard what your husband said. And I want to tell you it's not the end because there is a God in Israel. Wow! Come on, someone say wow. You know, someone say, let's give the Lord a, let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Let's give the Lord an amen for somebody who said, I have been positioned... In this situation. And you know the story. But do you know, before we run away from the story, to the final woman I'm going to talk about, let's see what happens to the terrorist leader. Eventually, he goes to the king, first of all, because he thinks that powerful person must be a king. The king thinks he's just trying to start a fight with me. Eventually, they find the prophet. They get to the prophet's house. He's traveled hundreds of miles on horseback. Hundreds of miles to get rid of his problem. Now, nobody can see his leprosy yet. His name means handsome, because when he was born, his parents looked at him. This is not a joke. This is what would have happened, and said, there's only one thing we can call this baby. Every mother thinks their baby is the most handsome in the world. Grandmothers are worse. We can only call it beautiful, and that's what Naaman means, beautiful. Handsome. 
He grew up as a handsome young man. He joined the army as a handsome young man. He got to the highest position in the army as a handsome young man. Everybody's the envy of everybody. Captain Handsome, right? You know, Field Marshal Handsome, as we would say today. And he lived up to his name. But, of course, underneath the handsome, inside where no one could see underneath the medals, was leprosy. And he, clo- he didn't open up, except to his wife. And people saw him, they saw the face which was not yet disfigured. They didn't know what was working away underneath. Knocks on the prophet's door and the prophet says, uh, oh, the prophet wasn't there. He sent Gehazi, a servant. And he said, what do you want? Oh, goodness me, look who's at the door. I mean, he'd be scared. Terrorist command at the door. He says, what, 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 what do you want? He said, I've got leprosy. God's told me to come here. Uh, would your master come out now, please? Lay hands on me and I healed and I'll go home. It's been a long way. So he runs down the passage and he says to Elisha, he said, he said I've got this. You never guess who's at the door. He says, quickly come out. He says, I'm not moving. He says, he's come hundreds of miles to your house and you're not coming up the passage. Oh. Give him a message. Just tell him, go and wash in the River Jordan seven times, it'll be okay. He says, are you telling me I've got to go and tell him you won't come to the door? Hey, come on. He said, I'm not coming to the door. See, God's testing the man's heart. So with fear and trepidation, Gehazi, he's looking over his shoulder to find out where the prophet is. The little girl, his slave girl, has told us. And, and he, says, he says, where is he? He said, well, he's not coming. What do you mean? He's dead or ill? What's up with him? He says, no, he's not coming. He's just got a message. A message? You're joking. What is it? Go and dip in the river seven times. He says, no way am I doing this. He says, the rivers of Abana and Farfa, rivers of Damascus, Hello, Palestinian rivers are better than this Israeli river. I ain't doing it. And he goes off in a rage, but he had friends around him. Thank God for friends who will tell you the truth. Don't listen to friends who are always telling you you're perfect. You've got a really good friend who will say, you're not praying enough. You're not right with God enough. You need to... Hello, friends who will tell you the truth. And these men said, listen, if you'd been asked to do a mighty thing, you would have done it. It has to do a battle to get rid of your... You've done it. You've only got to go and wash... You see, the man is not afraid of dirty water. He's saying the rivers of Mbana and Fatha are cleaner. In other words, I've got leprosy. If I go in that river, the Jewish river, as he would say, if I go in that river, I'll come out with leprosy and hepatitis. <laughs> He's not frightened of rivers. He's frightened of openness. Because, you see, he's the commander. He's covered up his need inside. And no one can see it. But if he goes there, and it wasn't have a quick dip. It was seven times. Everybody's got to see your complete obedience. And he said, I've got a choice. This is a choice somebody in the room is making now. You'll have to make it this morning. God knows I'm not what I appear to be on the outside. There's stuff going on in my life. There's stuff perhaps going on in a relationship around me that is becoming dangerous. It hasn't yet made, perhaps yet not become dangerous, or perhaps it has. You can sing all the songs in the right place and smile and say amen when you should. But inside, something else is going on. So he has to make a choice. I either stay closed up with my fancy clothes as the head of the my uniform and go home with my leprosy 
I'll go down to the banks of this river, take off my medals, take off everything, strip down to the waist, and let everybody see what I really am. I'm a leper. I'm not a commander. I'm not a big cheese. I'm not a, I, I might be that, but I'm also a leper. So I've either got to get rid of my pride and get rid of my leprosy, or retain my pride and retain my leprosy. He made the right choice. It was a hinge for him. Hello. And he opened up. And the Bible says that when he was healed, it's in the Bible, your Bible, his skin was like a newborn baby. In other words, the place where he got his name, beautiful, he returned to that place. Someone say amen. Because he opened up. Because he was real. Because he positioned himself where he should position. But you see, I'm talking about a man of faith now. It's the girl I'm talking about. Are you with me? Last woman. Are we okay for time, Pastor? Are we okay? Are you with me? The last one. Paul is going on the way to preach. Now, if you want an evangelist to come to your church, a special evangelist with that special anointing, then what will happen is... There's lots to choose from in this area, I'm sure. Lots to choose from. And uh, if you want one in the whole of South of England, there's hundreds and the world, millions, well, millions. But in those days, one apostolic evangelist, one, was going around. He was called the Apostle Paul. It was vital he was in the right place at the right time. He's on the way to what we would call Russia, and the Holy Spirit says, don't go and preach in Russia. It's a... Is this the devil talking to me, telling me not to preach? He knew it was the Holy Spirit. So he moves and he goes towards what we know as Turkey. Turkey needs the gospel. And the Holy Spirit says, don't go to Turkey. Don't go to Turkey. He goes to bed and he, and he gets a vision of the night from a man from Europe, Macedonia. They had no, there wasn't one convert in the whole of Europe at this point. Not one convert. Nobody in Europe has been saved. Today, think of the th millions in Europe that are saved. And for many years, Russia was a closed country. Turkey, in many respects, is a closed country now in some respects. <coughs> he says, come over to Europe, come over to Macedonia and help us. So in the morning, he says, right, that's where the Holy Spirit wants me. He goes to Macedonia, and the Bible says, I'm preaching a bit longer than I would normally go. Are we all right for a few minutes? Ten minutes, are you all right? You know, if, if, you don't, if you want to close up and go and get your roast beef, it's okay. No, no, okay. <laughs> this is important for somebody here this morning, friends. Come on. Paul was in Acts 16. He traveled through the region of Phrygia, Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from going to Asia. When they came to the boards of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, Turkey. The Holy Spirit wouldn't allow them. Goes on and on. Then he gets the man from Macedonia. And on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gates to a river. A river. Why would he go to a river? He'd never been to Europe in his life before. Why would he go to a river in Macedonia? Well, in those days, these are caught of, it's an immigrant church that Old Testament believing Jews were all immigrants that come into Europe. And if you went to an area, you wouldn't find a synagogue. 
But when you wanted to build a synagogue, you had to have a certain number of men, unfortunately. It had to be just men before you could even consider starting a synagogue. But in faith, if you hadn't got enough men or no men, then you would go by a river and in faith you'd worship in the open air by the river because when eventually you had enough men to start a synagogue and then build a building, you were by rivers for all the purification rites. So if you wanted, to, if you were in an area where there was no believers, you would go to the river to see if anybody had faith to worship by a river in the expectancy there would one there be a place of worship. When he got there, the Bible says, he says, we arrived at the river on the Sabbath, because that's why they went to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer, the Bible says, and we sat down and began to speak to the women that were there. The man from Macedonia never existed. There was no man. If a woman had appeared to this man in their culture, if a woman had appeared to Paul in a dream, he would think this is not God. Might be too much pizza the night before, but it was not God. He would not have come in their culture of the dream of a woman to be diverted to the place he needed to be. So God had to bring some vision of a man to do it. He got there, but there were no men. Just a group of women who were praying. I don't know how many come to your prayer meeting, Pastor, but some people might wonder, if there's just a small number, is there any point in this at all? With all the problems in the world, all that's going on with ISIS, all that's going on with the assault on our media of secularism and atheism and, and the various other lobby groups, what does it matter to there was a half a dozen, 20, 30 people praying? Let me tell you this, friends, don't forget this. Six praying women, a handful of praying women, re-diverted the primary apostolic evangelist through two continents to go to the place where God wanted them to be. That's the value of being positioned. That's the value. Imagine a day like this out there. We're not going to go by the river today. It's tipping wet. We're not going to go there because it's raining. We're not going to get committed to this house because, you know, it's just too much hassle, too much commitment. If they hadn't been by that river, it would have been as bad as the princess not being by the river because God was going to use that as a moment to be a huge hinge. So they got to the river and they found these. He said, we sat down and began to speak to the women that were there. There were no men. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia. Adelia in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. Listen to this. Listen to these words as we come to close in the next five minutes or so. I want to have a time of prayer with some folk. The Lord opened. Someone say opened. Opened her heart to respond to the message. She was the, the first convert in Europe was a woman. She was a seller of purple. What does that mean? She was the first woman we talked about was a princess. The second was the other end of the social spectrum. She was a slave. This woman is a high-powered businesswoman. How do I know that? Because only rich people were allowed to wear purple. Kings and very wealthy people. So when she's a seller of purple, she is a fashion, she, she heads up a fashion house, which is like Dolce Gabbana or Versace or that kind of thing. That's the, that's, that was her job. So we've got a businesswoman, we've got a slave girl, we've got a princess, all very different people. 
but being willing to be opened and positioned to be obedient to God. She had an open testament before the world. She worshipped by a river in all weathers because she wanted to be faithful. She didn't even know Jesus. She had an open heart before the Lord because God put something in that she became a Christian. She had an open heart to serve others because she asked him into their house. See, God, when God opens up, if he really opens up our heart to him, he opens up our heart to one another. How can a man or woman say they love God who they cannot see when they don't love their brother and sister who they can see? So as she was open to God, she was open to other people. Her relationship to him. And I want to tell you, friends, if you are in a bad relationship with somebody in the fellowship, now that couldn't probably be possible in church, could it? Anybody could fall out, is it? That couldn't happen, could it? If you solve that relationship problem, get ready when you open up your relationship for heaven to open up for you to get a new blessing. Because the two are linked together, the Bible says. The greatest picture of being planted is in the definition in Psalm 1 of spirituality. Blessed is the man, the spiritual man or woman, they're like a tree planted by the rivers of water, whose leaf does not wither. The remarkable thing about... So here's a tree by water... Its roots are going down. They're not into one stream, the Bible says. Many streams are coming into it. It's open to the river. It's being blessed. Whatever the season, it's being blessed, the Bible says. Every season, winter, it's being blessed. But the key word is planted. The word that's used in the Bible for planted doesn't mean most trees in a field, a bird's taken some seed, it's flown, it's digested it. It's left the body of the bird, it falls into a field, and then it grows, the, the ground is open, and as a tree sprouts, it becomes a tree. It's haphazard. But the Bible uses a word there for planted, which means it was positioned, planted specifically for a purpose by the river. In fact, if you have the message, it actually says, he is like a tree who is replanted. In other words, it's taken from one situation to another situation. This may not be the biggest church in this area. When I tell you, friends, if God has planted you here, don't get uprooted to go to a place where God doesn't want you to be planted. Get your roots down. Get committed into the house. Because it's not... You see, our fruit depends upon our root. Our fruit depends upon our root. And if we just got a superficial rootedness in God or in fellowship, the wind comes and we're blown somewhere else. You might even be blown out of blessing. But when you get your roots down, get committed to all that God's doing. And so God's saying, that ground was open to receive the tree. The tree was open to receive the water. Now the fruit is there all the time. The leaves never wither. Opened and positioned. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Now, uh, I've had a thing just recently whereby I've not been bringing people out to the front. And the reason why I've not been bringing people out to the front is because um, some people have got the impression that if you've got a visiting speaker and you go out to the front and he prays for you or she prays for you, then um, it's going to be very different to when the pastor of the local church prays for you because they're not the visiting speaker, they're just pastor. And I don't like to encourage that thinking because, remember, we're all postmen. Hello? 
It's not the postman that's of value, it's the letter the postman is bringing. And so you don't have to be prayed for by a special person who's turned up. It's just the same as anybody else. But today, I'm going to break my recent rule. And I'm going to invite people to come forward for prayer. And, and because, But as long as you understand, it's your obedience in positioning yourself and making yourself vulnerable. It's your, there is something about coming to the front, you see, which opens me up. Everybody says to Naaman, why is he going into the river? Why is he revealing that he's got a need when he's such an important person? But that was the key to his healing. And sometimes having the humility to come for prayer, you're halfway to your healing. If anyone is sick, let them call for the elders of the church. Not complain, why didn't the pastor visit me? It is calling for the elders, because the calling for the elders says, I am in need, and I'm open to receive something from God. Are you following me? That's not to say pastors shouldn't visit. I'm just saying the call is important. So I want us all to stand. Everybody, could we all stand as we close in a moment or two? I know you normally finish at 12. And I'm not going to ask for any music to be played in the background or anything like that. It might be musicians that need to come forward. But there will be people. Who are the people who are coming forward? Well, well, this is difficult because there'd be several different types. There would be those who, like Naaman, are in a situation. I want you to do something for me now. I want you to close your eyes. I'm going to do you one favor, massive favor for me. It's the only favor I ask when I visit, that when I get to this moment in a meeting, please no one look around what other people are doing. Because we need to give people privacy. You say, well, you're inviting people to the front in a minute. Yeah, we, that's a bit different, as you'll see. Because I want no one looking around. Thank you. Please don't look at other people's decisions. But if you say, do you know, when you said, Pastor, that, um, when you said, John, that on the outside I look fine, but I've really got a need inside, a bit like Naaman. It's not an illness, but it's something going on. And I just want to be open to God and say, Father, I want you, I'm just opening myself up for you to deal with that. It may not necessarily be sin. It could be sin. It could be hurt. It may not be something you've done, but something that's been done to you that has closed you up. And in that case, whether it's you're at fault or not, you need to be free from that because you need your hands open to receive the good stuff that's coming. And if that's you, just raise your hand where you are. Bless you. Bless you. Wow. Honest people, take your hands down. Thank you. No one's looking around. Okay? So it's stuff done to you or that you've done. Then there's a whole load of other people here. These people, and you said, you know, my runway's not big enough because I thought it was just good enough to come to church on a Sunday, put my time in for God, and, and basically, I don't, really, I don't expect God to do much in my life. I can think of people who are more spiritual than me in the church where God does stuff, but not me. And God says, that's the devil's lie over your life. God says, if you keep a small runway, you'll always get light aircraft. But if you start believing to be more open space to receive from heaven, then what's going to happen is you're going to receive bigger aircraft from heaven, more blessing. And the people this morning God is speaking to and saying, I'm going to make a commitment to enlarge my runway from this day. 
To use a change the analogy, I'm going to be the tree that's been planted by God in a place and I'm going to get my roots down. I'm going to get the place where I can receive. That's the things that joins them. A big runway receives big planes. Deep roots receive big refreshing in my life. But then there's a final appeal, an honest focus saying, Lord, I just want... Things have closed me down. Disappointment has closed me down. Discouragement has closed me down. But today I'm opening myself up to you in a new way. I just want to be, I want to be the hinge in somebody's life. It's not all about me and my blessing. It's about me receiving something to bring forth a harvest in me that blesses those around me. I want you to use me, Lord, not just as a consumer but as a producer. And if that's you, raise your hand as well. Okay, take your hand down. So you see how many different things there is that God's spoken into our lives and people responded to. And so I'm not going to spend a long, long time now, but it is important whatever one of those appeals you're in, just quietly leave the seat where you are and come and join me at the front so I can pray with you. And thanks for you moved out of the way and we're going to pray with you. And uh, God has given you a landing strip for bigger stuff and more important things. And, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit, the Lord told me without me getting super spiritual about it, there would be a response. He, uh, he didn't say how many, never did I really take in my mind. There'd be so many of us here. And uh, that, that is important because, you see, I'm, I'm in a church of honest people. Never been here before in my life. And yet I knew instinctively I was with open people. And people are willing to open up. And so there's so many of us. We don't need anointing oil. Are there any about? If there is, then we will do that. And what we're going to do now is this. I'm going to pray, because there's so many, and I know you've got time, you've got commitments, there's people waiting on you. We don't need the... We've got some there, that'll be enough. What we're going to do is I'm going to pray a general prayer over everybody's life. I'm going to pray a general prayer, because there are so many. But I'm going to come and I'm just going to put some oil on your forehead. You say, I'm not sick. Oh, well, you know, there's lots of different sicknesses, isn't there? The word for sickness is disease. And that means dis-ease. And I may not be in pain in my body, but I might be in pain in my soul. And I might be in pain in my relationship with God or with other people. And I'm not at ease, but I'm coming to a place of rest and ease now this morning. I'm coming to a place of openness and growth. So I'm going to pray, and you're going to hear me praying out loud. And I'm, just going to be t- I'm not going to be spending time with you to prophesy over you. The Word of God should have said enough this morning already without getting personal words. The personal words we've had, God has spoken to us in a way that nobody else has received. Who's out there? We've all got a different word from God. So, Father, I just bless you this morning for your people. What a privilege, Lord, to, to be. Get ready when I come to you to receive from God but even more importantly get ready after I've left you because remember I'm the postman it's not about me touching your forehead with oil it is about you receiving something in your spirit today that's going to change your future and the future of others so say when is he going to get to me that's not the answer it is God is getting to me now because I came out and the postman will will give me the sign of anointing with oil upon me in a moment So, Father, thank you for every woman of God, every man of God in this place. Father, some of us would see ourselves in status situations of influence, like the princess. Some of us would feel that we're 
like the slave. Some of us would feel we've been in church for many years and know our Bible well. Sir, would you draw close a little bit to me so I can reach you? And some of us would see that we know our Bible well. Others may only recently have come to faith. You're not discriminated against because you have not been saved long. What happens is we receive whether or not our landing strip is big or small. So you could have been saved for a few weeks and yet have a bigger landing strip than someone like me that's been saved for many years. It's how open I am to receive. God doesn't want to sow good seed on a car park. He wants to sow it on fertile ground that has its, is open like a furrow to receive from God. And you're receiving an anointing. That's what the oil is. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. It is God saying, I'm on your case. And as you go back to your seat, you'll feel the dampness of the oil upon your head. It's just reminding you that when the meeting closes, the blessing doesn't close. The sense of God in this place is not the, the, the destination. It is the M4. It is the place you get to to get to your destination. And some of you are going to, in fact, all of you are open, will get to new destinations because you came to this place today. And you were open enough. You know, I'm looking at people who are princesses here in the kingdom. You say, oh, is that that me? Well, if you're a child of God, you're a princess if you're a woman. (laughs) Because he's the king of kings. He's the king of kings. And the Lord of lords. But preacher, if you know what I've done in my life, you knew my life experiences. Listen, you know, can we talk about the God of the now, not the problem of yesterday? Can we talk about new beginnings? The sister was talking about when she led us in worship. Can we talk about new existence? Some of you here are getting ready to receive that. You stand as a prince before God. You stand as a prince before God. God said it's a new day. It's a new start. And it happens when the field is open. No more gully washes, Lord. No more good meetings where I'm only touched superficially by emotion. But Father, I want to live in a place where what I have from you goes down deep, goes down strong, goes down powerful. Goes down in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. As the oil touches your head. If you're in the aisle, would you just come a little bit closer because I don't want you to miss out. It's not, remember, I'm the postman. I'm not the solution. Jesus is the solution. The two things are the solution this morning. One is Jesus and one is you. Because you have been you have been humble enough before God, like Naaman, to say, I need more than I've got right now. I need a depth in God more than I've got right now. I need sufficiency opening in my spirit. Some of us need to start beginning then to believe for bigger dreams. Bigger dreams. You're not just a member of this church. You're not just a visitor. You are a vital hinge that will open huge doors on the lives of other people in Jesus' name. Don't, don't worry about your age, sir. Don't worry about your age. Moses was 80, wasn't he? 80 years after being saved in that little basket, he began to do mighty things for God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And so now what we're going to do is this. Bless every single one of you. What I'd never realized, to be honest with you, just what an amazing church this is, having just turned up at it. Church is not the building, obviously. It's you. So now we're going to do everything that we've espoused. Have, just look at, towards me at the moment, all of you at the front, if you would, or everybody else as well. This is me saying I'm sufficient of myself. 
This is me saying I'm not sufficient of myself. I want to be a furrow in a field, and I want to be open. I'm saying, Father, I'm here to receive everything you've got for me. And I want to tell you how important that is. Because when I was a pastor, I used to say to my people, don't pray for blessing, it's meaningless. Blessing, what does it mean? How would you know if God answered your prayer? Because it's, you need to be specific. Specific. Lord, I want to lead someone to Christ in the next few weeks. Lord, I want to be baptized in the Spirit if you're not baptized in the Spirit. Be specific. But you know, I now go beyond that. Because the Bible says, The eye hath not seen, nor hath heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. God wants to do, listen, exceedingly abundantly above all I ask or imagine. Now, if the limit of my faith is my specific prayer, then my specific prayer... I want you to hang on to this. It's a word of God for everyone at the front and everybody out there as well. My specific prayer is the limit of my imagination for me. But listen, what happens if God's heart for me is bigger than my imagination for me? Because it always is. So actually, my specific prayer can limit me to my view of me. So this morning, we're going to open ourselves to God's view of you. And God's view of me. And here's the prayer as, as we come to a, a, a closing. I hand over to the pastor and Here's the prayer. Everyone who's open to God, at the front or out there. And we're going to say it together. I'm going to tell you what it is. And then you're going to say it after me. God, give me everything you've got for me. Now that goes beyond my faith. That, you see, that goes beyond my faith for me. Let's say it out. It goes, this goes beyond my faith for me, Lord. And it enters God's faith for me. Father, will you build a big runway in my life? And Father, as a tree planted by the river, help me to commit to the ground in which you've planted me. Because you want my leaves to be fruitful in all seasons. I am excited about today because it is birthing a new future in my life. In Jesus' name. Let's all in the place give the Lord a mighty hand of praise for his goodness. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Pastor, come and lead us. Close whatever you do here. We'll make our way back. Bless every man and woman in the place right now. Father, bless this church, we pray. In Jesus' name.